reading from the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, beginning with verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A reading from the gospel according to Matthew, beginning with verse chapter 21, beginning with verse 33. Jesus is speaking. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenant seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, 
And they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those miserable wretches to a miserable end and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone This was the Lord's doing. And it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I read a story, and I don't know if it's true or not. It could have been a joke, but it, you know, it sounded like it could have happened. It was about a person, a person who owned some property in Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina. And the story is they were, they were filing for an FHA loan to rebuild their house. And they finally got to a point where the FHA told them they had to demonstrate ownership. So they hired a lawyer, and the lawyer traced titles and demonstrated ownership all the way back to 1803. That's a long time, isn't it? Seems that way. Well, they sent that in, and and the man, he got a letter from FHA, told him it wasn't sufficient. That he had to demonstrate ownership all the way back to the origin of that property. So the man's lawyer sent a letter back to the FHA tracing ownership to 1803, then to the Louisiana Purchase, then to France, then to Spain, then to the Queen going to the Pope, asking if she could sell her jewels and send Columbus across the ocean from the Pope all the way back, all the way back, all the way back, and ultimately reminded the FHA that it was God who spoke it all into being. That's a good reminder for us. Because one of the things that we fear about death is that we will cease to be able to grab things. More than once, I have thought to myself, I wonder who will hunt with my guns when I'm dead. My daughter is not really interested in it. But doesn't that reveal something about our sense of ownership? 
I am positive. I would be willing to bet that every last person in this room has pondered who will get some part of their property once they meet their demise. It is one last grasp at denying that we don't own it. We would like to think that we own everything that's in our possession as we say it, but in a moment's notice, it can all go to the court. Don't pay your taxes for a couple of years, find out who owns your house. This is what Jesus is dealing with when he comes to the temple. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the whole lot of them had come to believe that they were somehow established over everyone else, that they were the guiding light, the guarding example of what it looked like to follow God closely, to be righteous, to be holy to the nth degree. And do you remember that when Jesus rode into town on the donkey, the children were singing, he was healing the lame and the blind. If he's not the Messiah, he's darn sure doing everything he can to look like the Messiah. And they freaked out about it, remember? Who do you think you are? Who? Who gave you this authority? They didn't question that he had authority, they could see it. The whole city was in turmoil because of how he showed up. And this vineyard story, this story tells us why he showed up. It tells us why he came to town that day. Now you could press and say, well, preacher, isn't the reason Jesus came to town that day because God told him to because it was God's will? Yes, but let me play with my story a minute. There's a purpose in showing up this way and in telling this parable. And it goes back to one of those mistreated prophets, one of those messengers of God. It goes back to the fifth chapter of Isaiah. Listen to this song that Isaiah writes about Jerusalem. Let me sing for my beloved My love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. Hear this church. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, 
but heard a cry. Ownership. Brent Driggers wrote this about this story. The tragedy lies not only in their selfish rebellion, but in the blindness that rebellion produces. Our rebellion against God causes us to assume that we can hold things away from God, that we can hoard things for ourselves, even ourselves, that we can pretend that we don't belong to God, that somehow God is our servant, that God's purpose is to make sure that I get to go to heaven and nothing more, that God is nothing more than a cosmic vending machine who's supposed to meet my needs because after all, preacher, I said in Jesus' name, I own this body. I own my house. I own my property. I own my children. I own my things. I own my truck. I own my boat, fishing reels, guns, hats. I own, I own, I own, I own, I own. But in truth, my very breath is given to me by the Lord God of Israel. Oh, my dear children, what do we do with that? Driggers goes on to say, this brings us to a very important point. The parable can trick us into thinking that the chief priests and elders recognize Jesus as God's son. All that they recognize, however, is that Jesus has claimed to be the son. The parable serves to show how the temple leaders have been entrusted by God and how they have rebelled against God. It also prophesies their violent rejection of the Son. Jesus' opponents understand all of this. They get the parable. They reject its truth. Yes, we are all God's tenants, but we are not those tenants. And you are certainly not God's Son. That's what those chief priests and Pharisees were saying to Jesus. We hear what you're saying. We perceive that you're talking about us, but you are not the Son of God. And later on, Caiaphas, the chief priest, will specifically ask Jesus, Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Because if He is, then their ownership is up. And God has come to reclaim his holy temple from the ones who would not allow the people to come who were repenting. Remember last week, the force of what was happening is that the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the two worst kind of sinners they could name, were repenting and entering into the kingdom of God ahead of the holy people. Ahead of the preachers, ahead of the priests, ahead of the choir, ahead of the ushers, ahead of all those offices we might hold up and say, surely Marcia was a good woman. Surely she's going straight to heaven. But the truth is, Jesus said, our hearts are far from him. We honor God with our lips, but in our hearts we say, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And how dare God act? Like God will tell me how to live. 
How dare God say I will welcome the tax collector and the prostitutes or even Johnny Hilton who walks on our campus? How dare God say we will welcome the unloved? How dare God say we will welcome the broken and the hurting? How dare God say we will be a place of rest and peace? How dare God say it? Because we are His. It is God who planted the vineyard. It is God who placed the walls. It is God who dug the streams. It is God who put up the watchtower. It is God who planted the vines. It is God who waters the vines. And it is God who brings forth fruit. Church, we are those tenants. We can fool ourselves and think what we're reading here is a prophecy of Israel being hit with missiles last night. But it's not. What it is is a prophecy of the failure of the people of God to remember our purpose. Which is to love God and love our neighbor. And to rejoice when tax collectors and sinners repent. Instead of feeling threatened by their presence. I hope that makes sense. We are not the owners. If I get a million dollars for every time somebody told me that's not happening in my church, preacher, I'd have five million dollars. At least five people in my ministry have thought, this is all mine. It's not. The denomination can say it, it belongs to them, that it's held in trust for them, but it, it's, it's God's. Everything the church has ever built, ever built belongs to the one that empowers the church. And it serves one purpose and one purpose alone. Fruit. To produce righteousness. Remember what Isaiah said? God came to His vineyard looking for justice, but all He found was bloodshed. All God found was bloodshed. The turning of the back on the hurting. Jesus has taught us, has He not? Love God, love your neighbor. This is what righteousness is. And and we live in a time of, of, of gospel, a time of hope. When Jesus has promised that if we put our faith in Him, then God will give us the very righteousness of Christ. We don't have to figure out how to be good. God will make us good. I will clothe you with righteousness. We are given the wedding, the wedding dress of the wedding of the Lamb, which is righteousness itself. Christ becomes our righteousness. But that doesn't look like rule keeping. It looks like love, joy, and peace. These, dear ones, are the fruits the church is called to produce. And the good news is, it's what God intends to produce in us. And God will do the work. All that God asks of us is to submit to it. Be willing Don't lay claim to ownership. It's not ours. And I ain't saying that y'all think it's all yours. I'm saying that there are people in the church who do. 
And when we think that, we're behaving just like these people in Jesus' story. And more than once, it's come back to me that somebody visited a church I serve and somebody said to them, why are you sitting in my pew? It ain't yours. Early in my ministry, I made a commitment to myself that if I was ever assigned to a church that had brass nameplates on the pews, they would come off in the middle of the night and be thrown in the lake. And I just had to say, sorry, I didn't know. How would it change how we behave and think and live if instead of thinking that that seat is yours, that it's a seat that you're holding for someone who will be here next week? Someone that you will go get and bring with you. How would all this be different for you? If you thought about it not as something to get you through the week, but as something to prepare you to produce fruit. Because the church is still called to produce justice, produce love, to produce hope, to produce faith. And even more, dear ones, the primary fruit of the church is disciples. So as we hear Jesus' parable, And his confrontation with those people who thought they were in ownership of everything. And remember that what's behind it is the idea that the one who owns the vineyard came to get simply what belonged to the vineyard owner. Maybe we should ponder, are we producing the fruit that God intends to produce through us? Disciples. And what role are you playing in that? Because the good news is, none of us were added to this team to be second string. None of us were added to this team to warm the bench. Jesus added you so that the church would be complete. Jesus added you to this place so that the work of making disciples, of tilling the soil prepared by the landowner would be complete. So that together we can be fruitful And honor the owner of the vineyard by making disciples. I think I'm done. If I had a manuscript up here, I would know. Y'all with me? Do you hear what I'm saying to you? It's not something of ours to be protected. I knew a preacher one time got fired because he got in a bus and drove over to a certain area of town, brought a bunch of little African-American children back to the vacation Bible school. Y'all can't fire me, but he was Baptist. They fired him after the worship service. It's not ours, dear ones. It's placed here for us to work in and produce fruit in. May we prayerfully be about that work because Christ has saved us through faith and given us the gift of faith. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.